Welcome to Canvas Church. You are listening to our weekly celebration service message. Thank you for tuning in. So um, I have a message for you uh, about this underdog series. I've been really enjoying the series, and I love that Pastor Ben asked me to speak on Mother's Day because if there's any area in my life where I felt like an underdog, it was in the area of motherhood. So I get to share with you a little bit about that journey and that story, and I'm excited. Today, I now have three children, and we've been married for almost 11 years, and my husband was taking the kids out shopping to pick up something for me for Mother's Day, and they were so cute. Because um, the older ones are getting good at keeping secrets now, you know, like if I have something that I'm hiding in the closet for daddy and they won't tell him. But our youngest one is only three. And so she's never really had to, you know, keep secrets before. And so they were heading out the door and I was like, where are you guys going? I want to go with you. Um, oh, um, we're just buying some food. <laughs> just, just some food. You just rest, mommy. We're just going to buy some food. And then she came home with the bags. What's in the bag, sweetie? It's just, you should just go rest. It's just some food. Don't worry, it's just food. It was so cute. She just didn't want to tell me. She did such a good job of keeping it a secret. And then my presents were out on the table this morning. And they had picked out some candy bars for me. So it was food. (laughs) She was right. So, but this uh, underdog series, we're talking about how in moments when we feel like the underdog, in moments when we don't feel adequate, in moments when we don't feel qualified, how God, by his grace, can use us. We've been talking about different people in scriptures that God used, even when they didn't feel adequate or qualified. Has anyone ever felt like that? I don't feel adequate for this job. God picked the wrong person. God doesn't, obviously, God doesn't know what he's doing because he picked me, and I, and I don't feel qualified for this job. And that's exactly why God chose you is In those moments of not feeling qualified, he gets to shine even more, right? His grace gets to shine even more. And so I've been loving this series. If you didn't have a chance to check out last week's message, Pastor Ben preached an amazing message called No One Sees My Potential. And it was an awesome, awesome message. We post all of our messages online. So if you go to canvassd.com, the website should be in your program. And under media, um, both for North County and for Central, you can check out the messages there. And so I would highly encourage you to check out the other messages of, of this series if you haven't had a chance to. Um, and so this, this morning, we're talking about Esther. How many of you have read the book of Esther before? If not, it's okay. I'm going to summarize it for you and rather than reading the entire book of the Bible. Um, that would uh, make for uh, a lengthy sermon. Um, but So I'm going to summarize the book of Esther, and we're talking about the thought of when you feel like your chances are slim. When you feel like your chances are slim. And so Esther, uh, she had some slim chances because she wasn't, uh, uh, didn't have parents. Uh, they, were, they had passed away, and so she was raised by her uncle. She was a Jew, and so uh, what happened was the king actually uh, was displeased with the, the queen at one point and decided, I'm going to get a new queen. I'm going I'm to fire this queen, and I'm going to uh, put out to all the women in the, um, in the city that if they want to come, and it's almost like an uh, older version of The Bachelor. Have you ever seen that show? Like, all the women compete, you know what I'm talking about? Hopefully you don't watch it, but you know what it's about. Um, <laughs> And so all the women kind of compete to see who can be the next queen. And so they have all these beauty treatments and all these ointments and all these things for many, many months. And it says Esther uh, was favored by this king and favored and graced by all who knew her and all who. So she had the favor of God on her and the king ended up choosing her to be queen. 
Well, there's this evil man in the kingdom named Haman, and he uh, decided that there was this guy, Mordecai, who happened to be uh, Esther's uncle, who wouldn't bow down to him and didn't seem to give him kind of the accolades that he wanted. And so he wanted to destroy not just Mordecai, but all of the Jews. And so he went to the king and said, hey, there's these people in the land. They don't do what, you know, what, what's right in your eyes, and so I think we should just annihilate them. And so the king says, you know, do whatever you want. And so he makes this decree to kill all of the Jews, to kill all of the people. And so when Mordecai finds this out, he goes to his, uh, his you know, adopted daughter, Esther, and says, you know, you're, you're positioned in the palace for such a time as this. That you now, even though she didn't say where she was from or that she was a Jew, you now can go on behalf of the Jews and be able to save the people, which is what she did. And she put herself actually in a position where she could have died, um, she could have been executed for approaching the king without being summoned. And so her life was at stake, but she said, if I perish, I perish. I need to do this. I need to stand in the gap for these people who um, could be annihilated. These are my people. And so sure enough, she goes to the king and, um, and ends up saving the people, and the king you know, grants her request. And there's a lot of other little details involved. If you like good revenge stories. How many of you have seen The Mount Count of Monte Cristo? That's like one of my favorite movies. You like good revenge. Like, you know the bad guy gets what's coming to him at the end? Um, that's kind of what happens in this story. So I won't give it all away, but Hammond gets what's coming to him. So you should read the book of Esther and find out what else happens. But in a nutshell, she saves God's people. And it's an incredible story of how God uses an underdog to be able to save the people. And so I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we're going to get started, and I'll share with you my journey as a mom. Father, I thank you so much, God, that your grace is sufficient for us. God, I thank you that moments when we feel like our chances are slim, God, that you, Lord, uh, provide intangible victories, intangible advantages for us to be able to go and take the victory. God, I thank you for your presence in this place. God, I pray, Lord, that you would use the, me this morning, Lord, to communicate your word and communicate your truth in a way where we would leave, we would feel built up, we would feel encouraged, God, we would understand your grace and your love even more when we walk out of this place. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Uh, like I said, um, I felt like an underdog when I found out I was pregnant. I uh, remember I was a pastor's assistant in Las Vegas, Nevada, and I had been late for a while. I was just chatting with my friends about being late. They said, you should take a pregnancy test. And I thought, there is no way that I'm pregnant. You know, Brandon and I had even joked, maybe we don't want children, and not really because we felt that way, because, I, well, for me, I felt so inadequate. I thought, maybe I should just, maybe I'm just not cut out for that job. And so we had joked around about not ever having children at all. And so for me, the possibility of being pregnant was just, it was not an option. And I remember I thought, I'll amuse them to take the test anyways. And so sure enough, I took the test, and there's just one real dark line. And I called Brandon, and I said, hey, I just want to let you know I took a pregnancy test. You know, a friend, my friends encouraged me to, but I'm not pregnant, so don't worry. I just wanted to fill you in. Threw the pregnancy test away in the garbage and uh, threw all the you know, cardboard and you know all the little directions and threw it away in the garbage. And I go back to doing my job and I'm filing and I'm typing for hours. Hours go by and all of a sudden the thought hits me: What if a faint line is still a line? Like, what if the little tiny faintest little line that was next to that dark line is still like a positive result? And so I dig through the garbage can and I'm trying to find this pregnancy test. And I grab the pregnancy test and there's this faint line and I grab the directions. And I'm looking through the directions and it says, sure enough, if it's even a faint line, that's still an indication of a positive result. 
And so I thought, no way. You know, and I was 23 at the time, so this is over like 10 years ago. And, um, and I just kept saying, shut up, over and over again, shut up. And I just was in absolute shock. I thought, there is no way I'm really pregnant. And the thought just would not process in my mind. And so I read through the directions again and again, and then I had to call Brandon back and be like, um, just kidding, what I said before, I, I think I am. And he's like, no, go get another test. So I went and I got the pregnant, not pregnant one, you know, like you can't make a mistake on that one. And sure enough, it said pregnant. So I called him back. He still doesn't believe me because I've done some April Fool's jokes. <laughs> so now I have lost credibility. <laughs> and so... And so I said, actually, I, I am, I am. And so it took me over and over again telling him the whole story of what happened. And he came home from work early, and we came, and we just sat on our couch and just stared at the floor in shock. We can't believe that God would choose us to be parents. And so for those of you who know my story, you know I had a rough relationship with my mom. Grew up in a broken home, divorced family. My mom actually was killed because she got involved with a meth dealer, um, tragically killed because of her drug addiction, and, and that whole the whole story is absolutely insane. And so for me to come now from a family where I didn't have the best example of a mom, and she was a great person when she was sober, but we didn't get to see her sober very often. And so I saw my mom so deep into drug addiction, and I thought, I'm the one like Esther that didn't come from the right family, that didn't come from the right, that didn't have the best example of a mom. I don't know what I'm doing here. I remember babysitting my kids' friends once, and I couldn't strap in the car seat thing just right. And you know, the thoughts that come to you, look at you, you can't be a mom, you can't even strap in a car seat right. You know, and so these thoughts for me, I felt like God picked the wrong person. I thought, like, God does not know what he's doing. You know, he picked the wrong person for this job. And I, I just remember um, feeling, so over, over the course of weeks, I was about 12 weeks pregnant. I was sitting in church one day, and I thought that Brandon um, must have, like, spilled his lukewarm coffee on me. So I looked down, I'm wearing khaki pants. And all of a sudden, I looked down, and my khaki pants are red down past my knees, just all of a sudden, completely red. And so I ran to the bathroom, and I'm crying, and I'm in that moment, I, I think, this is it. This is God telling me that he made a mistake. This is God telling me I was right, that he picked the wrong person. And this is surely a miscarriage, and he's taking this away, and he knows that I'm going to fail at this, and so he's just taking it away early. And I remember just crying and crying. We got in the car and we were crying and crying. And at about 12 weeks at this point, I had still kind of grown fond of this child. And, and the love had grown. And even though I felt inadequate, I still wanted this baby to live. And I still wanted a chance to be its mom. And so I remember praying. And I just said, God, I know that I didn't come from the right path. And I know that I don't have the greatest example of, of, a, of a mom. And I know that, that, that I have all these failures and shortcomings. But would you give me a chance? And would you give this baby a chance? So we got to the hospital, and sure enough, they checked everything, and I was just praying more and more, praying, God, please, give it, give it a chance, give it a chance. And uh, sure enough, um, the, the baby was alive, and it was a big blood clot, and so it was going to have to be on bed rest for many, many months. And for many months, I battled with the thought of, um, uh, what if I'm a bad mom? And that was just the, the thought that kept going over and over again in my head, and finally, Brandon and I are sitting and one day, and, um, and I spoke it out loud, and I said, what if I'm a bad mom? 
And he looked at me and he took my shoulders and he said, I never, ever, ever questioned your ability to be a mother. Never. And I kept giving him these excuses, but this, and but that, and but I didn't have a great example, and but this. And he says, but you have the Lord. But you have the Lord. And those words became uh, like that faint line for me. And I realized that in that moment, a faint line is still a line, just like a faint truth is still a truth. And sometimes the enemy's lies and insecurities and attacks can feel so loud. Sometimes they can feel like uh, like raving football fans, can't they? It's like you just hear them so loud. And you, what if you don't have what it takes? And God picked the wrong person. And you hear all these lies and they feel so loud. But I took that little truth that I have the Lord. And I realized that a fake line is still a line, just like a fake truth is still a truth. That that fake truth, if I focus on that fake truth, and I continue to speak that every time the enemy would come with me, and he would say, oh, you don't have what it takes, but I have the Lord. You didn't have the right upbringing, but I have the Lord. You don't know how to strap in a car seat, but I have the Lord. And that became a weapon that I used to fight with through my entire pregnancy. Those words, but I have the Lord became for me a weapon in my hand. It was a powerful weapon that I used to continue to speak louder and louder and louder. And what felt like God's whisper became more and more loud and it became more of a real truth to me as I focused on that little fake truth and that little fake whisper. And sometimes we need to dig for those whispers, right? Sometimes the enemy's voice sounds louder than God's, but we need to pay attention to that whisper of truth that God speaks in our heart and begin to focus on that and, and, and push away the lies and the attacks of the enemy. Because the reality is the doubts that, that the enemy casts are like big puppet shadows. You know, they look really big and you see this big shadow and it feels overwhelming and you think behind the, the curtain is going to be like this big bear and it's just like a little flimsy paper doll, right? In the right light. And so that's how the enemy works. He magnifies these things. He makes them seem really big and really loud. But if we focus on the truth, if we focus on that fake truth, that fake whisper, I'm telling you, we can be overcomers and we can be like the underdogs in that story. And, and, and it's amazing to me how far God, God brought me in this journey of being a mom, and I don't take that for granted. I'm so grateful. But the life of Esther the underdog teaches us a few things. Number one, it teaches us that God's people have advantages that are often intangible. You might look at maybe the life of Esther, and maybe she didn't come from the right family, she didn't have the right pedigree. Maybe people would look at the qualifications, you know, like they do on the baseball roster, and they would say, I wouldn't pick her for the job. You know, and maybe people would look at me and say, I don't know if I'd pick her to be the best mom for those kids. But often what God does is he has intangible things that we have in our favor, intangible advantages. When you list out the things that you have in the natural, you might not stack up against other people that are more qualified. But if you have the Lord, like we said, that truth, if you have the Lord, you have his supernatural power, you have his supernatural strength, that is an intangible advantage that people just can't see on the outside. But we have the Lord. But we have the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. Esther 2, verse 15, 7. Now, Esther was winning favor in the eyes of all who saw her. And Psalms 5, 12 says, For you bless the righteous, O Lord, you cover him with favor as with a shield. Back then, shields were from the top, uh, bottom of your feet to the top of your head, and they would surround you on all sides. That's how big shields were. They would surround you. 
So when it's talking about this favor that surrounds you like a shield, it's talking about the favor of God. And a lot of preachers or pastors might say, oh, I have the favor of God because I got the best parking spot today. Or they might say, oh, I got this great business deal and it went in my favor, so I have the favor of God. And the reality is the favor of God um, might sometimes look like blessings, but it also might sometimes look like a hardship. If we think about Mary, the life of Mary, the angel told her, you are blessed and highly favored. And in the eyes of God, yes, she was. But guess what? A lot of people thought she was fornicating and she was pregnant out of wedlock, which could have caused her to be stoned in that, in that day. And so she faced a lot of persecution and a long road ahead of her where a lot of people around her were rejecting her. But yet the angel said that she was blessed and highly favored. And so we can't put a, a formula on the favor of God. A lot of people will want to put a formula and they want to, they want to sell this word and say, if you do all these things, then you're going to get the favor of God and you're going to be blessed in your business and you're going to be, we don't know, we can't put a formula to it. We cannot put a formula to it because it looked different for Esther than it did for Mary. But both were favored. Both were favored. I do know one thing about the favor of God. When God blesses us with favor, it's always for the sake of his people. And in the case of Esther, he blessed her with favor so that she'd have favor with this king. And then she got promoted to be in a position where she could stand in the gap and save God's people. The same with Mary. She was blessed to be in a position where she could carry the Savior so that she could save the people. And so what we would want to do is take, uh, take the favor of God and turn it into a formula and say, if I do this and if I do that, then I'm going to be blessed and I'm going to be successful and it's going to be for me and for my comfort and I'm going to be like Esther and I'm going to live in the palace and I'm going to eat from the king's table and I'm going to wear the finest clothes. And we think that that sums up the favor of God. But the reality is Esther wasn't just favored so that she could live a really cush, luxurious life. That wasn't why God chose her to live in the palace, was it? God didn't choose her and favor her so that she can enjoy a life of comfort. Although that was a part of God's plan, that wasn't the totality of God's plan. The reason why Esther was favored was so that she could stand in the gap for the people. So I have confidence knowing that when I pray for my husband to have favor in his workplace, I know that it's for the sake of those coworkers coming to know him. That when he's blessed with influence, when he's blessed with success, I know some of these younger guys are going to come to him and say, hey, what's your formula? Because they don't want a formula, right? What's your secret? What's your secret? And he can be able to point to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and use that influence and use that favor as an opportunity to turn hearts over to Jesus Christ. It's always for the sake of God's people. If God blesses you with favor, it's so that you can use that favor, you can use that influence for God's people. Amen? To begin to bring more people into his kingdom. It's not just for our luxury. It's not just for our comfort. It's not for any of those things. God wants you to be blessed and he wants you to be favored, but he doesn't want you to forget about those people who are perishing. Amen? He doesn't want you to forget about those people who are perishing. Uh, when I uh, gave birth to Hannah, she was six weeks early, and she had the cutest little dimple chin, and she was just uh, such a gift in my life. And the fear of being a bad mom was like out the window. And I don't know if any of you moms have ever experienced that, but you know the minute you hold them in your arms that you would die a thousand deaths for that child. That nobody else can say that, but you have that love. All of a sudden you have that God-given love, like I would do anything for this child. 
And I know no one else can say that. You know, maybe Brandon, but no one else can say that. There is just this God-given love. Uh, but what happened was they, they took her immediately into the uh, NICU, and they told us that she had a blood infection. And so we didn't know how serious it was, but they told us, um, you know, you're not going to be able to take your baby home. Um, and so we, we left, and we had the empty car seat in the back seat. And I don't know if any of you have ever had to leave your child at the hospital. That's a really hard feeling, um, not knowing uh, how serious it is, not knowing uh, how long it will be until we get to bring our daughter home. So we were traveling back and forth every three hours to, to nurse the baby and to visit the baby, and we would just cry over the baby and just pray um, that God would bring health. And I remember we texted um, and, and called and, and emailed some friends at that time and just said, will you, will you just pray with us? Will you just believe with us? Will you just contend with us? And we heard so many negative things. People would say, oh, but they don't mess up on those things. You know, I mean, the doctor's report is the doctor's report. Um, you know, those, those tests don't come back. And we were believing. We said, would you just believe with us that this is just a fluke? Would you just believe with us that if it isn't a fluke, that God would heal her? That these next tests, because they had to run a few days of tests, would come back and, and it would just be completely gone. And we got the most negative reports from people saying, you know what? Um, they don't make mistakes on those. So I'm sorry to, to disappoint you, but you're just, basically you're going to have to come to grips with reality that, that this, is, this is the reality of it. And we would cry ourselves to sleep and pray ourselves to sleep. And we were praying. And it didn't matter what anybody else said because we had been given this new protective love. And my mommy bear claws were out. And his papa bear claws were out. And we were like, we're going to fight for this child. No one else is going to fight for this child like we are. But we're going to pray. We're going to fast. We're going to contend. We're going to believe for the best because this is our child and we have a new love for them. And so we prayed and we fasted. So we went back to the hospital at one day. It was a few days later and the nurse came to us and she pulled us aside and she said, hey, um, I don't really know what is going on here, but um, the test came back and she's fine and there's no blood infection. And I don't know if in the beginning, maybe it was a like a contaminated Petri dish or something like that, but I, I can't explain it, but she's fine and you can take your daughter home. And so when negative reports and negative people would come to you and say, don't believe for that big thing. Don't believe for what God put on your heart. Do not listen to them, especially when it comes to your children. You know what's best for your children. and You know that we serve a miracle-working God. So we were able to take our child home that day. But we definitely experienced that our chances are slim kind of moment. Like everyone's saying that the hope doesn't look good, but we always have hope in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We always have hope in him. Number two, the life of Esther, the underdog, teaches us that God's people are not chosen by man. They are chosen by God. They are chosen by God. It's easy to look at verse two, uh, chapter 2, verse 17, when the, the king set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. And it's easy to think that she was just chosen and favored by, by this king, by this man. But Proverbs 21 says, the king's heart is like a stream of water, directed by the Lord. He guides it wherever he wishes. In other words, even though it was an earthly king that chose her, it was actually the king of kings and the lord of lords that chose her and that positioned her in this place. And there's other scriptures that we could go into. First um, Samuel 16, 7 says, For the Lord sees, not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So even though in the natural she might not have had the right credentials, might not have come from the right family, 
God had put it on this king's heart to choose her. It was the king of kings that chose her for this specific role. And it, we have to remember that it's the king of kings that chose us as well. It's the king of kings that chose us as well. In John chapter 16, it says, you did not choose me. This is Jesus speaking. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I chose you and I appointed you to go bear fruit. So even when we would think, oh, here's my moment of finding God or choosing God or this is when I accepted God, God actually chose you. Amen. Think about that, how powerful that is. That God was working. He was working on your heart. He was putting people into your life to tell him about you. And he was drawing you in. And, and you were intrigued by this word. And you were intrigued by this gospel. And you can't explain why there were certain things that, you're ha that happened when you were growing up. And certain moments when you felt like maybe God was real. I don't know if I ever shared this story with you. But right after my mom died was the first time that I prayed. Ever. I mean, I had bowed my head at Grace, or you know, said Grace for Thanksgiving, but I never really prayed myself. And I remember after my mom died, it was such a, a, a tragic thing, and I didn't understand it. And I was very young. It was right before my 17th birthday. And so I had just gotten back from her funeral, and I didn't understand. I didn't, I didn't know if there was a heaven or a hell. I didn't know if, if this book was real. I didn't know if this was the only way that was real. I didn't know anything. But I knew that I was broken, and I knew that I was brokenhearted, and that I needed, I needed to talk to a God if there was one. So I sat down at the kitchen table, and I prayed the messiest, snottiest, ugliest cry. I didn't know if I had to say my first name and my last name to introduce myself to God, or if that was just a silly thing. But I just figured, you know what, I've never really prayed to him uh, before, so this, this is a good step anyways, right? Even if it's messy and ugly, it's, it's still better than nothing. So I'm just going to pray. And so I prayed, and I just said, God, I'm hurting right now, and I don't know if you're real, but I need you to show me. I need you to show up right now. I just need you to show me that everything's going to be okay. And I kept praying, show me that everything's going to be okay. And that very moment that I prayed my first prayer, and sitting at the table is no more than 60 seconds of a prayer. And I hear my dad's Yukon pull up in the driveway. And... He comes in, and my parents were divorced. They lived in totally separate cities. And um, he drops a pink envelope right in front of me. And it had no return address on it. It had my name on it. And he said, I'm so sorry. This has been in the office, my office, for months. And I kept forgetting to give it to you. And so I don't really know who it's from or anything. But, um, but here it is. And then he walks away. And so I open this envelope. And it was a Valentine's card that my mom had written me. But in that very moment that I prayed, I opened up this Valentine's card that she had written months before, before she died, that never got to me until the very moment that I prayed my first prayer. And I'm not saying God always shows up and says, I'm going to show you a sign, but I believe that he knew that I was so brokenhearted in that moment that I just needed a glimmer of hope. And I opened up that card and it said, I know we don't always see things eye to eye, but we always see them heart to heart. And I'll always love you and I'm so proud of you. And I never really heard my mom say that she was proud of me. Through all of her drug addiction, all the things that she went through, I knew she was, but she was so caught up in her own world that she, she forgot to say she was proud of me. And it was exact words that I needed to hear, that my mom was proud of me and that she loved me. And even though we had had conflict and we didn't see things eye to eye, that we always saw them heart to heart. And that, that she was my only mom. I don't get another one. And that I was her, her daughter, her firstborn. So God was so, so good. And 
even though I'd like to think that I chose him in that moment, he was the one who chose me. He was the one who was working behind the scenes to be able to bring me to that place where I realized that God was real and he was working on my behalf. Number three, the life of Esther that God teaches us that God's people can be confident that he's working behind the scenes. We can be confident that even though we don't see the circumstances lining up at our workplace or with our family, with the people that we've been praying for, even though we don't see those things lining up, we can be confident as Christ followers that he is working behind the scenes. That he is working behind the scenes. Esther 4.14 says, If you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come into the kingdom for such a time as this. He's saying, in other words, don't you realize, don't you see it, Esther? Don't you see that God uniquely positioned you and he was working behind the scenes all this time, making you favored in the king's eyes, putting you up into the king's palace, setting you up as queen so that you could be the one to stand the gap for God's people in this moment, in this time. He was working behind the scenes. He was working behind the scenes, making sure that Valentine's card didn't reach my hand until the moment that I prayed that prayer. And so we can be confident, even the people that you've been praying for for years, that he's working behind the scenes. I had the privilege and the honor of leading my sister to the Lord this week. She's the one who, um, we share the same mom. So she actually had things a lot harder than I did. And she, I've been praying for her for years, over a decade now. And there were times when she was caught up in drug addiction herself. And there were times when she was caught up in, in things. And I, I they were so tempted to lose hope. And so tempted to think, God, where are you in her life? Are you not working? Do you not hear my prayers? And we want the quick fix, right? We want those prayers to be answered right away. We want them to happen right now. And, and we, we get so impatient. But God was working behind the scenes of her life all along. And she came to a point where she tried so hard on her own strength to keep trying to be good and to be good and to be good. She kept getting a little bit better and a little bit better. And now she just finished nursing school, but she failed this really important test. And so she calls me crying. And she said, no matter what I do, I just keep hitting a lid. And I, I feel like I can't break through this point. And, and, and I began to explain to her some biblical thoughts on that and what I believed it was. And she said, yes, that's it. That's exactly how I feel. Will you pray for me? She said, will you pray for me? And I said, absolutely, I'll pray for you, but let me ask you one question. I know we've talked about this before. I know that you, you know, didn't want me to talk about God to you anymore. I know you've pushed it away. I know you've rejected it. But are you, are you ready? Are you ready to surrender your life to Jesus Christ? Because if you are, I, I will pray for you. We can pray for the other stuff, and that's great, but this is more important. Your salvation is more important. And she said, you know, no, I've been thinking about it a lot lately, and I just needed a push. Just needed a little push. So I said, oh, I'm pushing. <laughs> and God was pushing behind the scenes in her life, even when I had lost hope. And I was able to pray with her and get her to, to, to be able to, to know that she is loved and accepted as a daughter of God. And that was one of the greatest honors and the greatest privileges of my entire life is to be able to lead her to the Lord and lead her into the same grace that I've experienced. For her to know that she doesn't have to be bound by excuses or bound by her past. For her to know now when she feels like, maybe I'll be a bad mom. What if I don't, I don't measure up? What if I didn't come from the right home? And now when she battles those same thoughts that I battle, she gets to fight back with, but I have the Lord. She gets to fight back and say, but now I have the Lord. Now I have the greatest 
intangible advantage that I could ever possibly have that would make me be the mom that God wants me to be. So that favor that came upon my life, it's not just for my sake, it's for hers. And I know that there's more Ava's. I was able to lead another girl to the Lord named Ashley who grew up at a home where talking about God was like Santa Claus. She finally came to the point where she was ready and she felt the Holy Spirit. She felt his presence for the first time. What is this? My heart is pounding so hard. And it was so beautiful. Such a beautiful moment to see someone who never really experienced the presence of God. Just to experience it. Just be crying and be ready. Amen. I want more stories like that in my life. I want more stories like that for Canvas Church. I know it's coming. And I believe that if we begin to see that those intangible advantages that we have, that the spirit of God that we have inside of us, that each and every one of us has that opportunity and that privilege to be able to use that favor for the sake of other people, reaching more people, and seeing them get delivered. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, please visit our website at www.canvaschurchsd.com.